Hallelujah. You got your Bible? Turn with the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis. Chapter 1, we're going to read verses 26 and 28. Something you read before, but um, something that jumped out at me that I felt was necessary to talk about tonight. Hallelujah. Good to see everybody. If you're joining us online, we invite you in. Shout out to somebody else. Tell them that we're on. And if you're a guest here, God bless you for being with us. Verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I want to talk for a few moments tonight about image bearers. He said he made them in the image of God. And there's been a lot of discussion about what does that mean. And I've, I've talked about this before. But I've noticed something recently that not only is it an essence, but it's a responsibility as well. That being an image bearer gives us unique value as, as human beings, as living souls. But also as redeemed people of God with the Holy Spirit, it gives us great responsibility to carry out and propagate that image in the culture. And so, God being my helper, we're going to talk about it tonight. Father, we love you and thank you for the Word of God. We thank you that you're going to show us your will and your plan for our lives and how we can express your image even through our fallen flesh God that we can express your grandeur your glory and your goodness to the earth around us Lord not just possess the image but present that image to a fallen world God a world that is in chaos in a downward spiral we are there Lord to reach out to be an example of your goodness and your grace your forgiveness and your mercy and your love to the world that is lost. We are there to bear your image and to create in this earth something that reflects your glory. Help us as a church become that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Would you clap your hands and you can be seated. So I know when you hear the word image bearer, we, we, we try to wonder how do we bear the image of Christ? And people have talked about our, our intellect and uh, you know, our ability to understand ourselves, which animals don't have. And um, uh, they talk about kind of a uniqueness of humanity. But really, uh, I think we have a tendency in contemporary Christianity, at least at the popular level, that we talk about image bearers are bearing the image of God more from about our presence, that we have value because we're made in His image, each of us. That's why human rights 
Without the Bible, you would not have human rights in our culture. You understand that. The Bible tells us we're made in the image of God. That means we're distinct and unique and everyone is worth value. Without that underpinning, even if people don't believe in a God, there are no such thing as human rights. All right? So there is value, but we only talk about it in our essence, okay? And so what I would like to talk about tonight is that the purpose of image bearing, not just its essence. Yes, it gives us unique value as human beings, unique from all creation in that we were made in his image, but it also gives us a purpose, okay? And there is much more to be gained from the doctrine of divine image bearing than appreciation for our own worth or value or dignity. It is the very reason we were saved. You and I were saved to bear the image of Christ in the world. It was a purpose and a responsibility. The very reason we've been born again and given the power of the Spirit is to bear and reflect His glory, His nature, and His essence in the world around us, okay? Yes, it includes self-worth and dignity. But more than that, it is a responsibility, That I'm an ambassador of Christ. I represent him. I should reflect him. This is why sanctification is so important and growing in Christ is so important. Because you can have the right doctrine and you can be born again of the Spirit. But if you're not in a mature exemplar of Christianity, then you can fight against your own truth with your lifestyle. Bearing the image is a responsibility to the creation and the created world, our fellow men. Although God surely wants humans to have an appropriate sense of self-worth based on Him, right? I think that God is even more concerned that we act in the image of God. That we behave in a way that reflects, at least positively, on the image of God. That we behave as He would. Although we're going to be faint glimpses of his full glory, that should be our desire. And when you read the book of Thessalonians, Paul talks about, he talks about uh, uh, adorning the gospel. And, and when he talks about adorning the gospel, he's talking about behavior. He said the gospel can be true, but it should be, should be preached. It should be taught from someone who has actually been changed by the gospel and in the process of being sanctified by the gospel. That adorns the gospel. It's a true statement no matter who says it, but it comes better from people whose lives have actually been changed by what they're preaching. Amen? And so that's what it means to bear the image of God in responsibility. Actually, It's best to say that knowing and acting are interrelated. I mean, if I know that I'm made in the image of God, that bears with it a responsibility to other people. You've probably heard this before. You may be the only Bible some people read. You may be the only Jesus some people see. Now, I know that's frightening for us because all of us are a long way from Jesus. But there is a responsibility to the creative order in image bearing that God wants to use you and I, even with our failures, even with our difficulties, that we show the image of God in our lifestyle. And so the focus, if if you look, the reality of image bearing 
to the purpose of image bearing. That's what I want you to see. And notice in verse 28 in our text. Notice verse 28. So he created them male and female. And then he said God blessed them. He moves from, from, from essence immediately to responsibility. Bless them and said be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. Right? So there's the responsibility. From essence you are in the image of God. I'm giving you authority to rule and subdue the earth, to make the earth much like the garden, right? And they were to care for the garden and be stewards of it. So it wasn't just essence. It just wasn't I'm in the image of God. But with the image of God comes a responsibility. And that's something that I don't think we talk enough about. Although God surely wants humans to have self-worth as we talked about, He wants us to understand that with that worth and value and uniqueness comes responsibility. And that's why it's so important to be full of the Holy Ghost. Because you and I cannot adequately bear the image of Christ and reflect His glory if we're carnal and fleshly. We need the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We need to be full of the Holy Ghost. Not just have it, but we need to be full of the Holy Ghost because we're inadequate in ourselves to give even a glimpse of His glory and goodness to people if we're not full of the Holy Ghost. And that's the purpose of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, to help us bear that image, to reflect that glory, His goodness, His mercy. Let me say this, His patience. It says, when, when, when God revealed himself to Moses, he said, gracious God, long-suffering. It's interesting, in the Hebrew, it means to have a long nose, to take a deep breath, right? Some of you have a responsibility for image-bearing that includes patience. yes. You have the power within you to be patient. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care how mama did it. I don't care. I know I have people say, that's just how I am. And that's, no, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've been born again of the water and the spirit. You've got a new nature. You've become a partaker of the divine nature. And you have the power to be patient. You have the power to do it. The world is waiting on someone like that. That in the face of contradiction, in the face of being used and taken advantage of, they respond patiently. They're long-suffering. They stay with people. They don't throw up their hands and say, that's enough, can't do it. God didn't do that with us while we were yet sinners. He loved us. It ain't about you. It ain't about your reciprocation. It's about how good he is and his own nature that he loves. And hey, believe me, I have frustrated him. I have probably disappointed him, but he didn't give up on me. And if you're going to bear the image of Christ, you're going to have to have some patience with some people who get on your nerves. Y'all don't want me to start preaching in here. Right? You, you, you are not adequately bearing the image of Christ and reflecting His glory and His goodness when we don't have long suffering. I understand. I understand. People get on your nerves. You get on God's. 
right? And He's perfect, right? He's never done anything. But you get on it, you frustrate the grace of God. You quench the Spirit. You grieve the Spirit. So, so just, just know, right? He doesn't roll his eyes at you every time you do it. So check your face when you're upset with people. You say, well, Pastor, don't they get on your nerves too? I say, sure, but they don't know it. <laughs> Just because something's happening inside, I don't have to make it known with my face. I can still smile. I might be thinking you're a brick shy of a load, but I love you anyway. Because that's how Jesus treated me. Right? We keep wanting people to come on our terms. Right? You, you, you need to stop expecting that. People are broken. People are hurting. Man, I wish, I wish it was like it was in the 1970s. When I was a boy and I got the Holy Ghost, you know? But it's not. It's not. You can keep wishing, right? You can keep hoping and you can keep going, oh, what's happened to our society and our church, you know? When people got the Holy Ghost back then, they just threw their cigarettes out the car and it was over. They, you know, and just because people struggle some, you think they don't have the same Holy Ghost as you. I'm sorry. They got the same Holy Ghost you got, amen? But... Where you had one problem in smoking, they've had a divorce, they've had a, they've had a destructive family life, they've been abused, they've been, they've been on pornography since they were six and got a phone. It might take a little more time. They got the same Holy Ghost, but they need somebody to bear the image of Christ that has flesh on them and say, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to get out of that. You're going to overcome it. I know God believes in me. I know that. I know he called me. Every once in a while, I need somebody with flesh to come along and say it too. Somebody who has the image of Christ that comes along and says it too. I know how he feels about me, but every once in a while, I need somebody in the body of Christ to put their arm around me and say, that's good. You're doing good. I'm behind you. Don't worry about it. Everybody in here needs somebody with flesh on them. That's an image bearer that will say, hey, you're going to make it. I'm going to amen what God has said about you. All right. I know. I'll never forget. I was in my office. A guy knocked on the door. I was in there with Brandon Garcia. This guy came in. I don't know what he was on. But he was not himself. And he sat down and he said, Pastor, i got to tell you about what I'm seeing. And there was a ghost spirit and a, and a wolf spirit that was after him. The guy started howling on the couch. And uh, he left a little while. I just sat there and shook my head and listened. And Brandy Garcia said, I don't know how you kept a straight face. I said, you keep a straight face because, you know what? I was a lot like that guy when God got a hold of me. Just because you didn't see it and you see the finished product of 27 years of what God's been doing in my life. If you would have known me then, you wouldn't have liked me. I promise you. If you would have known me then, I had an attitude. 
I had some problems. I almost got in a fight in a Monday night basketball league. This is true. You wouldn't have liked me then. But we look at people now and go, why aren't they more like me? Well, give them some time and some grace and put your arms around them and tell them they can and be an image bearer of Christ and watch them bloom under that. If you believe in them and God believes in them in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. See, the assertion that God made humans in God's own image is immediately followed by the human commission to rule over the creation. So the text urges the conclusion that humans are created in God's image so they can undertake the fundamental task of ruling for God or being a God proxy on earth. That's our job, right? To express his authority. That's why he says... Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. In other words, your job is to expand the kingdom. Your job is to invest in the kingdom, to put it first, and then all these other things you're worried about will happen. If you become an image bearer, an ambassador for the kingdom, all this other stuff you've been praying about will find you. You won't have to pray about it. You won't have to worry about it. If you says, I'm going to be the image of God in my workplace, I'm going to be the person who's most like Christ in my place of work so that they know who I am and who I believe in and who I serve. See, that's why Adam and Eve eventually is placed in the garden to work and serve it. It's from the Hebrew word abad. It's, it's a word for a servant and to keep it from shamar, which pertains to superintendent, stewardship, watching, guarding, and protecting. They had a job. They didn't just have an image. That image came with it with responsibility. And if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, that comes with a responsibility. To let it out, please. If you got it, let it out when you're stuck in traffic. I know you'll come in here and I get to preach and you'll be speaking in tongues. But I want to know what you're doing when people are flipping you off on the roadway. Because you're an image bearer there too. Huh? Oh, y'all don't want me to talk about that. Oh, okay. Okay. Y'all don't live in the real world. Nobody ever tells you you're number one on the roadway, do they? Nobody ever told you that? Huh? Yeah. We just want to come in here and play patty cake. Isn't Jesus good? No, no, no. When you leave here, you may be the only Jesus somebody sees, the only Bible somebody reads. How are you going to respond? You've got to get your head on a swivel and say, I'm a representative of Christ, and there are hurting people around me, and I need to be aware of that because they're looking at me, and they're wondering, is there hope? Is there help? Is there anything that I can depend on? And they're looking at us to say, can we bear and reflect the glory of God? You know what is interesting when you read the word image? It's the Hebrew word sesalim. And we find it describing humans in Genesis 1, 26 and 7. It's frequently image. It's also an idol. Image, same word, image. Remember he said make for you no graven image. It's like graven idol, same thing, same Hebrew word, okay? What's interesting about this, if humans are made 
in the idol or image of God, it is surely worthwhile to ponder what first, further significance that might hold. Think about this. When and how did an image or an actual idol come to be regarded as a god or goddess in antiquity? In the ancient Near East, when an idol was crafted and carved, the idol was not believed thereby to have been instantly worthy of full veneration and worship when it was carved. The god or goddess in question, whoever they were making it to, was usually felt to have initiated the manufacturing process in the first place. So the idol was worthy of instant respect, but the idol still needed to be imbued with the divine presence through a ceremony, okay? This is not Christian stuff. This is pagan stuff, all right? But I'm letting you understand where this word comes from. From ancient descriptions of idol induction ceremonies, a, a scholar named John Walton concludes that the ancient Babylonians believed that through induction, the material image, whatever it was, was animated by the divine essence of their god or goddess. Little g, of course, right? The animation of the image by the god or goddess's presence, however, did not mean that the idol merely represented the deity, but rather that the deity was genuinely imminent in the idol. That it was a reflection of the glory and the power and the status and the veneration of that invisible God. That sound familiar to you? Now watch this. The image served as a holistic manifestation of the divine presence to those who might encounter the deity in and through the image. Yet the deity remained transcendent and beyond the image. They knew that. To meet the image was to encounter the god or goddess who was imbued and manifested in the image and who acted through it. Think about this. Now, take, take that back and let's go back and apply this to you and I, even before the baptism of the Spirit. Applying these insights to humans as created in the image or the idol of God, the God of Israel, when other creatures encounter humans, they are in the presence of God. Yeah, you are the house of God. You, especially as a human being, you already have it, but as a spirit-filled representative, you are a representation of him. You're not a representation of your brand. You're not a representation of Pentecost. You're not a representation of apostolic. You're a representation of Jesus Christ and the God of all. That's who you represent. Everywhere you go, every encounter, you are representing him and you are a touch point to the invisible God, to people who don't know him. That's responsibility. That is what we've been called for. That's why we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, praise God. That's why he says, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. And I'll be a father to you because I want to use you as a touch point in this culture where people sense the anointing and the presence of God. That's what I want for you. God has imbued his human imagers or idols, let's just say this, with his active presence. Genesis 2, 7, and God breathes his breath or his spirit, his ruach, into the nostrils of the clay figure, Adam. And he becomes a living nefesh. 
soul, a living soul in the flesh. He becomes alive, animated. There is nothing in the pagan world <laughs> that can copy that. You understand? Even though they felt that idol was stationary, insensate, it couldn't move. But when God breathed his living Ruach into us. Now you're immovable, animated, dynamically with the image of God and the responsibility of God. Now you up that on the day of Pentecost. Right? And we've been imbued with the divine presence of God in us. So everywhere you go, you're a walking billboard and you're advertising something. Either the customs of the world or fleshly desires or you're a billboard for the glory and the goodness of God everywhere you go. That's why it's important. People are watching. You don't think they're watching. And maybe they won't listen if you try to tell them your story. But they're watching your life. And they're watching how you handle tragedy. And they're watching how you handle uh, injustice. And they're watching how you handle difficulty. And what they want to see is there's some hope in you. There's some resilience in you. That you don't wilt like everyone else. And you don't blame everyone else. Praise God. Because you understand you're representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the transcendent God. You're His image bearer in the earth. Hallelujah. See, humans, we as imagers or idols of God serve as localized manifestations of the divine presence. Junctures where God is present in a real and tangible way to all who encounter the image. I want, you to, I want that to just set on you for a minute. So when I walk out of here, I'm not Pastor Jones. I'm not Gina's husband. I am all those things. I'm not just that. I'm a walking representative of the invisible God. How do I walk that out? How do I live that out? I have to be dependent on him to work through me. Amen. I've got to be dependent on him to use me so that someone comes into contact with him. They don't see me. They don't see my gifting. They see that something else is at work in my life. Something powerful, something beyond the natural. When a person is truly acting as the image of God, he or she serves as a genuine contact point between God and creation, medi mediating God's presence to creation and other humans. Think about that. You're that connect point that they're looking for. You're that connect point to God. And that's why it's so powerful that we're mobile now. That's so powerful what you do outside the church. I always think that these services are nothing more than like a gas station. Come get filled up, right? Come get fed and then go out and use what you got in the world, right? Go out and use what you got. Put it into practice. Incarnate the principles. Live them out. Put them to the test. Because when people see that, that's what's powerful. That's why when Jesus came preaching, they said, he's not like the scribes. He preaches with authority. Well, what, what was it that they saw? I'll tell you what was powerful. He lived what he said. The scribes could know a lot, but didn't always try to live what they spoke about. His power was he embodied and incarnated the principles that he was talking about. How he treated others. 
His long-suffering, his patience, his generosity, his graciousness, his mercy. Isn't Isn't it interesting to me? This always bugs me. You know who was attracted to Jesus? And it bugs me when they're not attracted to us. Sinners like to hang out with Jesus. And Jesus like to hang out with them. When sinners don't like to hang out with us, it may mean we're not reflecting Jesus. Just, just, just a suggestion. Because they like to hang out with him. And he liked to hang out with them. You know why he liked to hang out with them? Because at least they were honest. He wasn't putting on airs. They didn't have a mask on. They weren't trying to prove anything. He was like, yeah, I'm a tax collector. I steal from my own. I know who I am. He's like, as long as you know that, I ain't got to remind you. I don't need to preach to you. That's why he had to go to the Pharisee. You're a bunch of blind gods. You know? You're a bunch of hypocrites. He said, I can deal with these people. They know they're sinners. Sinners, people struggling, people who've been convicted by the Holy Spirit should be at home around people who exemplify the presence and the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? They shouldn't want to stay that way, but they should want to stay around and hear the message. Praise God. They should want to stay around and get to know you because you give them hope, right? All right, I'm going to preach a little bit. It, It goes the opposite way too, okay? So, but when a person worships false idols, the capacity to serve is undermined. See, idolatry is against God, but what it does to us is really worse as image bearers. When we have false gods in our life, whether that be status or wealth or sexuality or beauty or whatever that is, when that's in our life, we can't bear the image and reflect the glory of the one we're supposed to. We reflect the the, the glory of the idol, which is really nothing. The glory of God that the image is destined to radiate has become distorted when we worship false God. So other humans and the rest of the earth fail to experience God's sovereignty through the human as God would desire it to be exercised and the creation falls into corruption. That's what we have going on in our world. We have to be honest as church people. We are responsible for some of the stuff that we see because we don't do a good enough job bearing the image. Okay? It's not to mean you're lost. Doesn't mean we can't fix it. Doesn't mean, right? But we have to know that if culture is sagging, it's because Christianity as a whole, and I'm throwing us all under the bus because I am one, right? Needs to be better exemplars of his glory and his nature and his goodness, his mercy and his long suffering and his patience and his reaching. It's something that is on my heart tonight is. God reached to me when I was in direct rebellion from him. You need to be able to reach to people who are in direct rebellion to the will of God. He reached to me. He kept extending his hand. Maybe somebody here, maybe you've been in a relationship with someone and you were head over heels for them, but you couldn't get them to feel that way about you. That's how God feels about us. He's head over heels about us. He's already bore our sins on the cross and took our punishment to try to get our attention, to wake us up from these trinkets and things that, 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 that fill our minds and fill our thoughts of, of trying to arrive and, and, and attain things that are trinkets in this world. He's going, look at me. I love you. I, I want a relationship with you. This is how far I'll go to have a relationship. And yet there are so many things 
that garner our attention above Christ himself. I'm not going to be able to finish this, but I'll hurry. Paul says it in Romans 8. He says, the creation waits eagerly for the revelation of the sons of God. It groans. The creation groans until the image bearers become all that they can be. And that won't happen until we're glorified. I understand that. But, the, but, but creation is waiting on us not just to have and self-worth and dignity, but to stand and take on the responsibility and say, I'll be the image of God. I'll be his bearer. I'll take it to the world. I'll get it outside the building. I'll find hurting people and I'll let them know that there is hope. Why? Because it is waiting for the fullness of the glory of the children of God as they reign alongside Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Right? Revelation 20 and 6, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. The whole creation is groaning for the sons of God to be fully revealed in the earth. And that's what is is the next revival is going to be when we finally say, it's not enough for me to have dignity and worth. I have a responsibility as a bearer of the image of God. As a localized reflection of His goodness and glory. In short, if I fail to act as the full image of God, then my neighbors, my family, my workplace, which I have royal stewardship, will be bereft of God's life-saving, wise, and ordered rule. You understand that? If I don't do my part, then I'm not that touch point for my culture and my community. God asserted of himself in Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first and I am the last. Except for me, there is no God, right? That is, God is the only genuine big G God, right? Divine personality. So when humans worship idols, they participate in a faulty assessment of reality. You remember this in Romans 1, you know, when they knew him as God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, right? Right? And it goes on and on. They exchanged the worship of the creator for the creature, right? God gave them over to depraved mind, doing things. It led to sexual immorality and all of these things because we are not in reality when we're worshiping something else. Idols lead humans into a practical harm because there is a tendency for the idol maker to trust in his own creation, according to Habakkuk 2.18. They trust in their own creation, right? Think about that. In other words, there is a strong human proclivity to cause idols to say what we want them to say and to hear from them what we want to hear. Thus, idols are used to legitimize and rationalize the self-serving interest of those who prophesy and interpret through them. The result of this turn to images that humans lack the necessary encounter with God's glory for us to reflect it. In the world. And they've exchanged it for something non-glorious and utterly lifeless. So false God worshipers are transformed by their idolatry until they cease to bear God's glory adequately. And then finally, idolatry is damaging 
to humanity because humans become like what they worship. When we worship idols, we come to take on the quality of the idol we worship. Right? You've read this before. Psalmist says about idols in Psalm 115, 5. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. Feet, but they do not walk. And they do not make sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Right? What? You become insensate. You have a mouth, but you can't speak. You have a testimony, but you don't tell it. Right? You have a gospel and an understanding of the gospel, but you don't share it, right? We become like what we worship. We have ears, but we can't really hear. It can't penetrate because we become like what we worship. So idolatry's trajectory away from the real leads the worshiper finally into a vacuum, a total disconnect from reality. The idol worshiper has become like the insensate idol. As such, she or he in the end, is totally unable to use their senses to connect to the domain of the real of God's truth. They can sit in a service. They can hear the same gospel as you, but they can't perceive it. They can't respond to it. They can't do it because they have another loyalty in their heart, something else that they trust in and depend on. When Colossians 1.15 said, the Son is called the image of the invisible God, we should recognize that this assertion is, first of all, a statement about the way in which the Son makes God, who is otherwise transcendent, immaterial, right, makes Him known. He was the ultimate image bearer. He was the ultimate expression of the invisible, transcendent God. Think about that. Only a person, a spirit-endowed living human can adequately image God, bring God's wise rule to creation. The one who fulfills this image completely is Jesus Christ, right? And Jesus told us, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The Father and I will make our abode with you, amen? And we're gonna live through you in the same way that we live through Jesus. And this is something you gotta get a hold of. For years, I downplayed Jesus' response to temptation because I know he's the God-man, right? I know in his essence, he is God. And so I never thought much about him saying no to temptation, right? He's God, so there's nothing for me to learn. But then I remembered that James said, God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither does he tempt any man. So there, there is no way that Jesus faced temptation as God. He faced it as a man, just like we do. Otherwise, it could not be said he was tempted in all points, such as we, yet without sin. You with me? So he faced temptation as a man. That's why when you look at Philippians 2, he says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, right? Right? Though he was in the form of God, he did not try to hold on to that, but he died himself of his glory even though in his essence he God he divested himself of his divine power and, and, and attributes right so that he could take on human form and show us what is possible for a Holy Ghost filled person 
that, that somebody who is really submitted to the Holy Ghost can live in a way that reflects the glory of the Father, amen, and reflects the Spirit. It is possible. It is possible. That's what we learn from him. What a man can do who is fully submitted to the Holy Spirit. Now, yes, he had the Holy Spirit without, you know, without end, without and so there is a distinct difference, but that's what he shows us there. It should become obvious that Jesus, as the ideal king, is a representative figure in the very image of God. So that our allegiance to him and his self-emptying ways will also involve that we be transformed into his image. That's what's going on, right? Whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to become the sons of God, right? To be conformed to the image of his son. That he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined he also called. And those whom he called he also justified. And those whom he justified he also glorified. We become like that which we worship. This is why worship is important. I understand why some of you sit in worship now. You're like the idol that you've been worshiping. That's too rough, but I'm starting to see it, right? I'm starting to see it. We're, we're not alive with the presence of God. We're, we're not active and moving, you know, and on fire because we've been, we've been reflecting something that's insensate, that has no mouth and no ears and can't speak and can't move and can't walk, and it's starting to affect our worship. But when you get in the presence of a holy God and you say, I bear his image, and everybody in here needs to know the presence of God is on me, that I might encourage my brothers and my sisters, and I might encourage the new person that it's all right to be carried away with Jesus. It's all right. None of this stuff was in my notes. You're getting this free. Those who worship idols take on the attributes of the idol. If you worship something that cannot truly touch, smell, or taste, then your own abilities will likewise diminish and their ability to reliably lead you to truth. 2 Corinthians 3.18, I'll quit. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Hallelujah. That's our responsibility as image bearers, to reflect Him. Yes, it will be inconsistent ways it will be in incomplete ways but my God we have a responsibility not just to the lost world but to one another to one another that when we come in here we understand it's not I, I'm not just Brent Jones I'm not just the pastor I'm, I'm not just what I do for a living I am the reflection of the goodness of God and the grace of God and I should walk like that I have been adopted into his family Hallelujah. I've been given a royal title. Hallelujah. I've been given a down payment on all of my inheritance, which is the Holy Ghost. And there's a way that I should live understanding that. See, because when you get identity down, behavior will follow. 
Our problem is we always want to start with changing behavior. You need to change your identity first. Who you are. Who you've been called to be. What you've been empowered with. See, in, in, in the world, there are accidental births. Right? People who don't plan for babies. And it happened. But there are no accidental adoptions. You understand? God chose you. God saw you the way you were. And he said, I want that person to reflect my glory. I want them to bear my image in the world. Because I know they can. He didn't just save you to keep you from going to hell. He didn't just save you so you could wait on heaven. He saved you so you could be a reflection of his glory. And his mercy and his love and his long suffering. If we would stand up and say, God, help me bear that image tonight and tomorrow. Help me be a reflection of your glory. Stand with me all over the building. Help me, Lord, to understand who I am, who you called me to be. Help me to speak up because you reveal you because you reveal. Help me to walk it out because you walk. Don't let me be like those idols stuck in sand, unmovable. I remember when they took the Ark of the Covenant into the Temple of Dagon. I love that story. I came in the next morning and he had fallen. Head fell off and his arms fell off. Let me tell you something. When you got to put your God back together, you're having a bad day. I don't have to put my God back together. I don't have to rouse him from sleep in the morning. He knows the hairs upon my head. Amen. He knows the plans he has for me, plans to prosper me and give me a future. Praise God. He lives within me. I don't have to go find him. He's with me when I wake up. Amen. I want you to understand, you're not like the pagans. You've been imbued with the power of God. And you are an imager. And when you walk around, God wants you to be his ambassador. Shedding his glory and his goodness and his gospel to everybody you find.